you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Uh, this is the fourth week for a sermon series called Foundations. We're looking through uh, the book of Acts, which is like the history book of the New Testament, to the early church, saying what did they do and how did they do it and why did they do it that made the church go from 120 people to what it is today. I mean, wow. And it's incredible that the world has been changed. And so we are going to say, look at God's word again and say, God, help us know as we build on this foundation, as this church launches, uh, what are the things that we got to make sure we have in our DNA? That we got to make sure is a part of our story uh, so that we too can flourish for you. Well, again, November is here. Uh, I don't know about you. I'm a huge November fan. I love it. Why? Well, cooler weather uh, usually definitely rolls in. October, you don't always get it, but November for sure. Also, November, it's a birthday month. I want you to write that down. You should make a note of that. It's a birthday month. But also, the second greatest, the penultimate uh, of all holidays, right? I mean, if the ultimate holiday is Christmas, well, maybe Easter, but Thanksgiving. Anybody else here a Thanksgiving lover like I am? I love Thanksgiving. Um, it's, again, such a great time of year. I know for all of us with broken families, and that's all of us, there's some challenges with Thanksgiving. And it's not all, you know, great, but uh, the reality is Thanksgiving has all the ingredients of the things that I love the most, Right? Food, lots of it. Family, and lots of it. Usually that's good. <laughs> uh, fun, right? Oh yeah, and by, by the way, be thankful. So let me ask you, what, is, what are you looking forward to most with Thanksgiving? What's your favorite Thanksgiving dish? Count of three, tell me. One, two, three. Okay, that's it, mine too. All right, fantastic. Maybe that favorite dish, is it a favorite dish or do you just wait for dessert? Um, and do you have a family favorite uh, uh, recipe? Is there something you make every Thanksgiving that your grandma made or your mom made or it's been passed down through the generations? I love that. Maybe like your grandma's favorite pumpkin pie or something like that. It's amazing that somehow something you remember from the past, even though you use the same ingredients and somehow grandma made it better. I mean, somehow your mom, somehow it's like all the same ingredients here. How come it doesn't taste just like it did when I was a kid. Well, Thanksgiving in many ways for me is that picture-perfect holiday with all those good ingredients of family, food, fun, traditions, and yes, of course, thankfulness. This morning as we look at God's Word, what we're going to see in this foundation series is this picture-perfect portrait of the early church. That's where we are today. This is a warning. This is like the church's best day. This is like the church with like airbrush to it. It's really, really beautiful. And it's like, wow, if the church could look that good today. Uh, what we got to do is look at the ingredients. What did they have? What were the ingredients? What were they devoted to that made them flourish? And we want to be devoted to those same ingredients. What do we need to have for us to flourish? Now, this is really important. A lot of times we read the Bible and we look back at the way it was and we think that's the way it should be now. And a lot of times we look back and think, well, maybe we just need to duplicate the past. Uh, maybe we just got to try to do exactly the way they did it. It would be kind of like eating grandma's pie decades later. It just won't taste as good. So we got to make it today. We are the church today. It's not like we got to go and just be like them. But we got to take these ingredients forward for King's Chapel here and now. 
We need to be devoted as they were devoted these things so that we too can flourish. We're going to look at four things. What did they devote themselves to? How did the church go from this small little nucleus of people to this worldwide movement that it is today and will continue to grow? Uh, Well, they devoted themselves to four things we're going to look at. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We'll look and see what that means. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, and they devoted themselves to the prayers. Now, before we read Acts 2, there's one thing I want to show you there. It's interesting. As you look at that, you might see the word the, uh, because that article is actually used in the Greek. They didn't say, hey, we just devoted to fellowship or we're devoted to prayer. There was something specific. There was something like they wanted to set apart. These were the things that they were devoted to. So let's, let's look to God's word. We've made our way through Acts. We're in Acts 2. And remember, this is like the picture-perfect uh, portrait of the early church. So hear the word of the Lord as given to us. And again, let me give you a little bit more context. Uh, the promise of the Holy Spirit has come. It has come upon them. Uh, some amazing things are happening. Peter has preached this beautiful sermon uh, reminding people what they need to know about Jesus and now, now what they need to do. And now it's going to show us the fruit of what is happening to the early church. Acts 2, verses uh, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The reality is this, is the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father God, we do thank you for this incredible picture of the early church. In so many ways, as a pastor, I just wish I could have been there. In so many ways, we just long to just kind of take what they have and somehow fast forward it to us right here at King's Chapel. How could we live this way? How could we see the church flourish like this? God, we believe that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. We believe that that you, Jesus, are building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. We believe that in Christ Jesus, we win. It looks so much like the the church is in decline, so much that we're just floundering, not flourishing. But God, our hope is in you. Our hope has never been in an institution. Our hope is in you, and you love your bride. So Holy Spirit, come and speak to us through the word. God, give us a taste of how the church should be. God, show us your glory so that we could long for more. God, the things that I say that are just my opinion are wrong, are just not important, may those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the the good news of the gospel or this apostle's teachings. Would you use those things to shape this church into the church you want us to be, but not just the church, to shape each individual in this church. 
to be more like your son. We pray all this in his matchless name. Amen. The first thing you're going to see in this incredible portrait is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Why? They devoted themselves for the apostles' teaching for the transformation of their minds. This is what Peter will, will or I'm sorry, what Paul will tell us in, in Romans chapter 12. Don't be conformed anymore to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. May your minds be transformed, and they're transformed through the apostles' teaching. You may want to say, well, what is the apostles' teaching? What was different about what was happening in Acts 2 than the rest of time of history? What was going on? Why was there such mind transformation? Well, I'm going to give you a few things that they had. The first thing about their teaching was it was gospel-centered. It was clearly all about Jesus. And uh, let, me, let me take you to the gospel of Luke. Luke, by the way, who wrote that, also wrote the, wrote the book of Acts. So we have this cool little connection between Luke and Acts. And so we go to the end of the Gospel of Luke, and we're, we're told of a story. It's one of my favorite stories. It's a story of the road to Emmaus. And it's after Jesus' crucifixion. And what had happened is this. There were a couple of guys who were walking really bummed out because they had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah. They had hoped that he was the one who was going to come. But he died. And they saw him die on the cross. And they're like, listen, saviors don't die, right? I mean, you don't, you, God's son wouldn't be nailed to a cross, would he? And so they're walking away from Jerusalem and kind of with their shattered dreams. Uh, and, and Jesus mysteriously, the resurrected savior, appears with them. And he, he starts to, to talk to them and to remind them of what scripture really says. And this is what he says. And would you, would you listen along as I read this passage of scripture? It's pretty amazing. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened as though they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? And by the way, this is, this is now the two have seen that this is Jesus. and They've gone back to the disciples. He says, See my hands and my feet, that is, I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when you have said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, I just had me pause. I love the fact. This was so amazing. They're touching the resurrected Savior and still disbelieved. I mean, can you believe your eyes? I mean, even for us, can we believe the reality of this event 2,000 years ago? And God's grace, Yes. Uh, he said, Having, uh, have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. And then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses from the beginning of Genesis and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Now, if you've been here with the book of Acts, the promise of the Father, we, we looked at two weeks ago, it's the Holy Spirit, that he's been poured upon them. Here's what Jesus does. He says, here's the apostles teaching. You want to know what it is? This whole story is about Jesus. All of God's word is how God loves us and redeems us and makes all things new through the work of his son. That's the apostles' teaching. That which was so powerful, 
It wasn't like they're going back and they're reading Genesis and trying to find new insight. It wasn't like they're trying to dust off ancient manuscripts. It all became alive. It all made sense. It all pointed to him. The Passover lamb of old was Jesus. All the promises are fulfilled in him. And Jesus himself shows up and says, this is what it's all about. So what was the apostles teaching? It was was gospel-centered. It was focused on Christ and repentance and forgiveness in his name. It was kingdom-focused. And remember we start in the book of Acts, Acts 1-3. Remember Jesus appears and he spends 40 days showing up before he's ascended. And he spends time with his apostles. He teaches them. And what does he teach them? About the kingdom of God. So it was kingdom-focused. It was gospel-centered. It was was about seek ye first the kingdom of God. We're living in a world that that there's a rivalry now between the world's kingdom, the city of man, and the kingdom of God. So that's what he taught them. So the apostles' teaching, gospel-centered, kingdom-focused. It was spirit-empowered. The Holy Spirit came upon them so they could understand. God opened up their minds. Their hearts burned within them. And it was community-driven. It was all about community. This apostle's teaching that was telling them, listen, we got to live our lives in submission to Christ our King. we got to live our lives on mission for Christ our King. Transformed mind will do this. It produces a distinctly Christian worldview. It's so important that they had this transformation, the apostle's teaching, because you got to see life through the lens of the gospel. This is here to give us a lens to see and understand life through. A lens through which we see the world. Scripture will remind us that in this world we're strangers and aliens. We're his. We've been set apart. But it will also tell us in this world we're to be his ambassadors. We're his storytellers. We're his people, his beloved. See, when we, we understand Scripture, we understand the apostles' teaching in the gospel, it gives us this the lens of the worldview, a biblical worldview to see life through. But it does something else. It gives us a lens in which we can interpret the world through. Do you know how much you and I are thinking about our lives? Constantly. We're computers that never stop analyzing, never stop calculating, never stop trying to figure out your life. We all do it. And so we got to make sure that we have this distinctly Christian mindset Transform, transform minds that would help us to have this lens to interpret the world. Because why? Because Scripture will tell us that everything that we need to know tells us about God and ourselves. But here's the truth. God tells us what we need to know about him and us. But does God tell us everything? He doesn't. There's a lot of things that God doesn't tell us. But what does it say? Scripture says that God is sovereign and good. Here's what it means. God is in control of everything and God is good. Jake flying out of the Jeep, God was in control. He was in control before he lost control of his vehicle. He was in control while he was in the Jeep. He was in control outside the Jeep. And God is good. If the results were different, is God still good? So the world, the Bible will tell us that God is both in control, sovereign and good. It also tells us that this world is evil and dangerous. And without a proper biblical worldview, we make wrong decisions about God. We'll come to the conclusion he's either not all powerful, he's not all good. Or we come to decisions about ourselves. I'm not of any worth. Everything the mirror tells us of our brokenness and that we're still undone, if we don't have a biblical worldview that says each and every one of you is of amazing worth because you're made in God's image, you're worth the shedding of Christ's blood. You are beloved in Christ Jesus even on your worst day. Even when things are going wrong, even when your life's a nightmare and you keep messing up. 
So without the right worldview, we look at our circumstances, we get the wrong view of God, the wrong view of ourselves, and we make the wrong conclusions about our world. But with this apostle's teaching, to be reminded of what Christ has done for us, we can walk by faith. We can walk in hope. We can walk in love. It's so important for us to have a biblical worldview, to have our minds transformed by the gospel. How do you do it? You've got to be in the word. It's got to be something you pick up more than once a week. We've got to preach the word. And I promise you, as long as God gives me air and the ability to do this, this is all I got. I'm going to tell you about Jesus every week and the glories of what he's done for us. But here's the truth. The sad flip side of this is this. If you don't desire for your mind to be transformed, you won't be devoted to the apostles' teaching. I think it's the bottom line. I mean, if you don't really have a passion to see life through the lens of the gospel, you won't dig. But may the Holy Spirit give us a hunger for that. May we long for it and dig so that we can be devoted to the apostles' teaching for the transformation of our mind. They're also devoted themselves to, to the fellowship. Why? For the transformation of their community. Their community was being transformed. They had this uncommon unity. There were a bunch of different folks just like we were. They had an uncommon unity because of their common connection to Jesus. Jesus connects us together as brother and sister. He connects us as Seminole and Gator. He connects us from Democrat and Republican from, you know, whatever you want to say, in Christ Jesus, if he is what we have in common, we have all things together. We're held together. That's the beautiful reality of that. And they had in common Jesus that gave them the glue to one another. It's interesting. Their fellowship was both formal and informal. Uh, they, formal and corporate. They met in the temple and they met in homes. Um, their fellowship was intimate. They were rejoicing together, weeping together. It says they had joyful worship. And it was certainly generous. Oh my gosh, if anybody had needs, they would just make sure that everybody's needs were covered. Uh, they held on. Here's, here's the reality. that I, 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 I can't get this out of my mind. They held on to each other tightly and they held on to their possessions loosely. And I just think we live in a time and age that everything is reversed. We hold on to our possessions tightly and each other loosely. But the reality is this, is when Jesus is our great tre greatest treasure, we hold on to him tightly. Listen, when Jesus is our greatest treasure, when he really is, we hold on to him tightly because he's holding on to us. And when he's our greatest treasure, we loosen up our grip on everything else. In Romans chapter 12, Paul again is going to tell us a, a little bit about uh, how we should act as the church. Romans 12 verses 9 and following. Um, live, living a life of love. Hold on, let me, let me give you this text. Romans 12, 9. How is it with us? It says this, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek how to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless you and don't curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to, what, to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 
It's just so, so much, so beautiful of how we should be. Let me ask you this question. Is there room for relationships in your life? My guess is most of you have enough. And that's an interesting thing about a church. Because most of us have enough relationships. It's interesting. Someone described a life once as a, like a Lego piece with a different uh, nodes or whatever those things are on top. And if, if those are all our relationship capacities, most of us have that filled. There's just no room. There's no room for more relationships. How do we make room? How do we make room for relationships within the church, outside the church? I mean, again, we have these things called KC groups. We're going to have a lunch today to be connected to one another. But I, my suspicion is this. If our desire is not really for community transformation, we won't be devoted to the fellowship. I'm kind of stuck here, if I can be honest with you. Because my life is like yours. It's busy. And it's got a lot of relationships. But how can a church flourish if we're not devoted to one another? And not devoted to fellowship. And listen, I'm not asking for 24-7 stuff, right? right? You guys are busy. I'm busy. But what does it look like for us to be the church that's devoted to fellowship? I mean, devoted. Your issues are my issues. Mine are yours. Your stuff, man, I care about. And when we have needs, we're going to contribute together. Don't we kind of long for that? It's a beautiful thing. They had it. Why? Because, listen, they were devoted to God and to one another, and they held everything else loosely. I think we're devoted to our stuff and hold our relationships loosely. I really do. May God change our hearts. They were devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Why? For the transformation of their desires. The breaking of bread is a fancy way to say communion. They also hung out and had meals. But they were devoted to the Lord's Supper. How does, it, how does this change our desires? I'm going to show you two things. It's beautiful. It's true. This is a meal of remembrance. Remembrance. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget that all the earthly desires that tasted good at the time, all of our sin, led to this, led to the cross and Jesus being broken. And when we come here, we examine our hearts and we realize, God, it's because of our brokenness that Jesus had to die. It's because of the things that we wanted to do. Would you give us a desire away from the world? The world's like eating junk food. It just clogs your arteries. Believe me, I had a heart attack. I know about these things. The best taste of the world will only eventually lead us wanting more. But this is a meal that whets our appetite of what's to come. It's a meal that whets our appetites that there's, there's more. Because do this until I come back to you. This is a taste of heaven. It's a longing for the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's longing that one day we're going to have a meal with Jesus and he's going to be physically there. I can't wait. And to see his face. This is a small taste of Jesus, the bread of life. And change our desires. Give us a more of a taste for you and less of a taste of the world. Hey, at King's Chapel, we're going to celebrate. We celebrate the Lord's Supper twice, the first of the month and the third week of the month. One week we pass out trays. One week we do it with intention. One kind of shows the priesthood of believers. One shows us a one family. But come and participate. But again, I don't think that we will be committed to the breaking of bread until we're committed to have our desires change. If you're okay with our desires, if the world's got you, this will be just something you do. But if you long for more, this will be something you long to take. God changed my desires. They devoted themselves to the prayers. 
Why? For the transformation of their wills. We pray like Jesus taught his disciples to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Their prayers were both formal and corporate. We'll see in Acts chapter 3, 1, they went to the temple for the time of prayers. So there were formal prayers and corporate prayers, but they were also done in their homes. They also were intimate with one another. Our prayers should always be in Christ Jesus, empowered by the Spirit. And as we pray, we cry out, Abba, Father, to a God who loves us. We bang on heaven's doors with the cries of our heart. But we, like Jesus, in the garden are to say, but thy will be done. Let me, let me, let me give you this conclusion on this thought. Prayer is the open door for, to God that will never be shut. All other roads may be blocked in your life, but the road to heaven and to your Father in Christ always remains wide open. When all else fails, prayer will not. But I believe that we don't pray rightly because, again, I don't believe oftentimes we really want to have the transformation of our will. If your prayers are only going to God with your wish list, if you're only going to him and wanting him to bend to your will, you're going to pray infrequently and to be prayed selfishly. But if your prayers are praying to a father who loves you and at the end of the day said, God, shape my will, shape my desires, thy will be done. I, it's so humbling to me because I think of my own prayer life. I usually go to him when I'm in need. And usually those needs is when my will's not being met. And usually I go to him and say, okay, God, get in line. Things are out of line. I need you now. But he wants us to live a relationship with him that's constantly talking to him, constantly praying, that constantly says, God, align my desires. Align my will with yours. Thy will be done. Let me ask, do you have the ingredients in your life? Are they present in our church plant? Are they present? Do we, are we devoted to the apostles' teaching, individually and corporately? Are we devoted to the fellowship? Are we devoted to the breaking of bread and to the prayers? As we begin our church journey, I think, you know, how does, how does King's Chapel be, the first and foremost thing is a faithful witness. What does faithfulness look like for us? I think it's these things. Are we faithful to them? I believe as we're faithful, we're going to be fruitful. Because I want to be both faithful but fruitful, Right? And I've always said to you guys, I, I know that the church will really start getting leverage when we see people in our community come. And we see people come to Christ. And then we know that, man, we're, 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 starting, to, we're starting to be fruitful. But what does it look like to flourish? I don't know if it'll be big numbers. I don't know what will happen. But I know it's going to be transformation. I know it's what I long for. Because I know it's a picture-perfect picture of the church that he's given to us. I know that one day in Christ Jesus we're going to have it. Will you journey with me? Can we be devoted to these things? Can we help one another to be devoted to Don't forget grace and the love of our great God through all these things. As we come to this table, it helps us to be reminded of what Christ has done for us. We are going to literally break the bread uh, today. We're all going to have fellowship today, here and also in Fellowship Hall we're going to say, God, make sure that these ingredients are a part of our life. So as we come to the table, uh, we need to ask God to prepare our hearts. And so um, I'm going to ask that uh, the elders, the team that would come forward, the board members will come, that will be distributing the elements come forward. And I'm going to ask God's blessing in prayer. Let's pray. 
And Father God, we thank you for the good work you've started here at King's Chapel. We thank you so much for the privilege of being a part of your church and the advancement of your kingdom. God, we see an incredible picture this morning of the early church. We see this picture-perfect portrait. And God, we long to be like them. We don't want to just imitate them. A lot of things we do. But God, we want to be the church today that is faithful. A church today that's, that's fruitful and that's flourishing. God, would you use this meal to help us do just that. And God, we ask that your spirit would come and you would feed us. This is a meal that separates us from the world. It's a meal that's supposed to be taken just by your people. So God, we ask that you would come and feed us through it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.